0: Hi everyone, Dave Therian here. We're in a series talking about things that challenge your faith. And we looked at many various things that happen in our lives that really, you know, challenge us to help us grow in our faith, hopefully. Today we're going to see one, it's like a two edged sword. It's memories. And we have memories that are good, and we have some memories, oh, they're not that good. But I want you to understand today that everything is about helping you to grow your faith. So the challenge of your faith is to grow your faith. So it's a longer message. I want to get right into it. So buckle up, and let's learn how memories can challenge our faith, and hopefully with the intention of growing our faith. We're in a series. It's entitled, Things That Challenge Your Faith. You know, every week I, I think I'm going to end the series, and then I come up with a new thing that challenges our faith. As I think about it, we could probably spend the rest of our life on a series like this. Sometimes we don't like challenge, but challenge is good. Uh, whether it's challenging exercises, challenging in your know, studies, if you're a scholar, or if you have to prepare and study, many people in their professions have to continue to study. Doctors, teachers, lawyers, um, even a hobby is exercise. A hobby can be very challenging at time. Even though you choose something fun to do, in that hobby, it's challenging, especially if it's a musical instrument. Say you decide, I wanna to learn to play a particular instrument, and it's gonna be a hobby, but it's challenging, especially to get over the hump when you can actually play a song. Then things are a little better. Challenge makes you a better person. Tuck that away. Challenge makes you a better person. And so it is with our faith. When our faith is challenged, we become better people. Better people of God. I think it's safe to say the reason that we're in church today it's because we want to be followers of Christ. And we want to learn, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Like, how do I do that? What does it look like when I'm following Christ? So that's why we come, and that's, that's the, the goal of coming to church, to be a follower of Christ, and then, like Jesus said, you become like Him. That's the ultimate goal, to become like Christ. Now, some of the things we've seen so far... That challenge our faith, we noted dungeons challenge our faith. But remember, the dungeon, like it was for Joseph, can be the pathway to promotion. We noted that giants challenge our faith. But you know what giants do? Giants are these big opposing forces. They're bigger than you. They cause you to remember the promises of God and rely on God's promises. We talked about being outnumbered. It was Noah against the world. And you know, you can be outnumbered, and you can be faithful, and you can be victorious. And we talked about, last time, forgiveness. <laughs> forgiveness can challenge your faith, can it? Not so much receiving, but giving. Sometimes it's hard to give forgiveness. The deeper the wound, the harder it is. But that doesn't make it impossible. It's simply a challenge of your faith. Today we're going to see that memories can challenge your faith. And as I as I thought about that and I I put the message together, I came to realize, you know, uh it's not so much the memories that really this message is about, it, it's it's about looking back. Looking back to the world. I should have called it a worldliness can challenge your faith. You know, but when you think about memories because that's where worldliness begins in the memory we cherish our memories because we keep things to remind us of certain people or certain places how many people here have pictures at home to remind you of things a few okay I guess the rest of you are like yeah forget them I don't want to remember them souvenirs <laughs> you ever go somewhere and buy a souvenir a few. The rest of you have never been anywhere. Okay. That's good, too. Uh, letters. How many save cards and letters? You save them? All right. You save them? That's good. It's, you know, you reflect back. I got a whole drawer full of cards. Good and bad. I used to throw away the bad, but now I keep them. What the heck? But there are some things that we need to forget. You don't want to remember everything. There are some things that we need to forget. And we're going to take a look at a man in the Old Testament named Lot. Now, Lot is not the star of the story. His wife is. Let's hear it for Lot's wife. You're not going to do that at the end of the message. Now, Lot was the nephew of Abraham. Remember the story of Abraham? God called Abraham out of his home and he was like the father of God followers. He's the father of our faith. God said, Abraham, I want you to go out, and I'll tell you where you're going, and you're going to create a a people, and they're going to be my people. So God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he took his nephew, Lot, with him. Why? I don't know. Maybe they were close. He took Lot with him. Now God prospered them as they traveled through the wilderness and Lot came and he had his possessions and Abraham had his possessions and God had blessed them and prospered them. As a matter of fact, so much that they actually had to split up and go different ways because they had so much. And one of the big issues was that their livestock had multiplied so much that the herdsmen of Lot and Abraham, they weren't getting along. They were striving with each other because the livestock were getting all messed up and they had a hard time. You know, who belongs to who? So it came to a point where they said, you know what, we got to like separate a little bit and get our own land. So Abraham gave the choice to Lot. Lot said, you choose. He said, and if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. That's faith. I like that. Let, you know, just whatever you choose, I'll take what's left over. You know, reminds me of the two guys that went out to dinner and they both ordered a steak. And the waitress brought the steaks out. One was really big, one was small. And the waitress said to one guy, which one do you want? He said, I'll take the big one. The other guy got the little one. little guy was a little upset. He said, you know, if she asked me which steak I wanted, I would have taken the little one. He said, what are you complaining about? You got what you want. (laughs) Choices, right? So, I don't know. I I wasn't even planning on saying that. But I thought it fit. So Abraham's like, Lot, you go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. Okay. And you know what Lot did? Lot looked. And he looked and he said, I like that land over there. You know why? It looks like the best That looks like the best land. It's got the best fields. It's so fertile. It looks like a place that I really wanna live. I really wanna settle. Uncle Abraham, you can have the other place. I want the place that's really appealing to my eye. And you know what he chose? He chose to live in the midst of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah are actually two different cities. And the problem was, They were really bad places. Genesis 13 tells us that the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly, and they were sinners against the Lord. So Lot chose a place to go and live, which was very, very wicked and very bad for him and his family. So we pick it up in Genesis chapter 19. God had it up to here with the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Actually, there were other cities in the area as well that God was dealing with. And in verse 1, here's what it says. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, Please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. And then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, however, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. No, we'll just stay out here. That's okay. (laughs) Well, Lot, he urged them strongly like, you don't want to do that. You don't want to stay out in public. So they turned aside to him and they entered his house and he prepared a a feast for them and he baked unleavened bread and they ate. Then the spirit of wickedness became activated and the men of the city came out to Lot's house. And notice in verse five, picture all these men surrounding the house. And they called out to Lot and they said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us. That we may have. (laughs) I don't know if my Bible's right. Relations with them. I'm like, what? Does it really say that? Does your Bible say that? Or is it just mine? That we may have relations with them. Like. These men want to have relations with the men. That's not right. I'll say it right here. So everybody can hear it. It's not right. It's not God's way. That falls into the category of wickedness. You can be sentimental. You can say, well, my son, my daughter, my this, my that. It's not right. Lot pleaded with the people around his house. He said to them, So he pleaded with them to abstain from the wickedness, but the men refused. Then the angels grabbed Lot and they brought him back into the house. And you know what they did? They struck the men with blindness. Boom. All blinded. Every one of them. And in verse 12, then the two men said to Lot, who else do you have here? A son-in-law. And your sons and your daughters and whoever you have in the city. Bring them out of this place. Lot, grab your family and you better get out of here because God is going to destroy the city because of wickedness. Verse 13, we're about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Here's what we have to remember as God's people. It's not about what we think about something. It's what God says about it. It's not about how uncomfortable we're made by it. It's what God says about it. And I'll tell you something. If God's people don't stand for what's right, (laughs) who will? No one. No one. No one. And we have a whole world that tolerates everything except Christianity. So what does that tell you? It tells you that the whole world, as the Bible says, is against God. And because it can't get to God, it's against the people of God. So the whole world is against you. That's why when we talk about things that challenge your faith, yeah, Living in this world is going to be a phenomenal challenge to your faith. And you have to ask yourself, do I have enough faith to stand? Can I take it? Am I going to buckle? Am I going to give in? Am I going to be sentimental? Am I going to cower? Am I going to be intimidated because I'm outnumbered? Noah wasn't. Noah just kept on building. Kept on building. He was outnumbered. See, there's always a time in our lives when our faith will be challenged. That's the whole point of having faith. All the way through the New Testament, we we find phrases that talk about faith being tested, tried in the fire, so it comes out like pure gold. Not just any old gold, pure gold. So we have a whole movement today in the world that condones what God condemns. And we have to make a decision. What will I do about the things that God condemns but the world condones? Verse 14. This is going to show you why your faith is so important, why you need to be serious about your faith. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters. In the Old Testament, if you were engaged, it was like being married. As a matter of fact, if you were engaged and you wanted to break off the engagement, you have to get a legal document. It was called a divorce, that if you broke off the engagement, you had to get a divorce. That's how serious engagements were. So he went to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and he said to them, "Up." Oh, Get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. So he's telling them, let's go, pack your bag. We are out of here. God's going to destroy the city. Oh, but look. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Lot was serious. They thought he was joking. They didn't take him seriously. The sons-in-law were laughing at him. (laughs) That's a funny one, Lot. (laughs) God's gonna destroy the city. That's a good one. Wow, that's funny. Thank you for that. Why do you think they didn't believe, Lot? I think, I think when you live in the midst of wickedness and you tolerate it, your testimony loses credibility. You lose your credibility. Lot didn't seem to have any credibility with his sons in law. You know, maybe if he was walking the walk, and I'm not saying he was a sinful man, but I think he was, he just like didn't stand for what was right. Because if he stood for what was right, he wouldn't have been living there. He would have moved out a long time ago. He wouldn't have been comfortable. And, a culture like that. So his sons-in-law didn't take him seriously. And how sad for them. How sad for us when we try to share our faith with people and witness the people, especially people that know us really well, family, close friends, and they don't take it seriously because they don't see in us a serious faith a serious walk maybe that's why they don't and judgment is like what <laughs> that's funny judgments coming you know how many people believe judgments coming like almost none people don't think of judgment people don't want to hear about judgment they don't believe in judgment they don't think it's coming let me tell you judgments coming and you know what the Bible says this is a scary part judgment begins in the house of the Lord I'm like uh-oh I hope we're going alphabetically. (laughs) At least I'm at the end of the alphabet. I can kind of see what's happening. You see what's happening to you guys first before it gets to me. But judgment begins in the house of the Lord. That's sobering. And we can't forget that's like, don't think it's not going to come. It's going to come. And I'll eat these words when I get to heaven. I know it. They'll be like, Darren, you preached it. And you're coming up, man. Your judgment's coming. We're all going to get it. But the sons, see, they didn't believe it. They didn't believe Lot because Lot's life, I would say, wasn't believable. Oh, now I have to ask myself, is my life believable? Is my Christian walk believable? Is my faith believable? People might not abide in what I say, but can they deny that I believe what I say? That's the thing. You can have a good walk, and it doesn't mean everybody's going to follow it. But and one thing's for sure, they can say, man, you really believe it, and you really walk that walk. That's the main thing. Are you walking the walk? So I don't know if, if Lot did. So the angels, they grabbed Lot and his wife and his daughters. Hmm, I guess not the men. And brought them outside the city. Verse 17, when they brought them outside, one said, here's the angel talking, he said, escape for your life and do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Run and don't stop running. Verse 24, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah Brimstone and fire from the Lord of heaven. You know what brimstone is? Brimstone burns in hell. Brimstone is sulfur. It's sulfur. You ever smell sulfur? Take a book of matches and light it and blow it out in the smoke. That's sulfur. It make your eyes water. It'd burn your nose. Dry your throat. It's awful. And God, and the Bible tells us that hell burns with fire and sulfur. And here, God is raining down fire and sulfur upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Everything was devastation. Like when the flood came, it devastated everything with water. Well, the fire and brimstone came and devastated everything. Verse 26. Here comes the star of the show. But his wife. That word, but. Whenever it shows up, it's like, uh uh-oh. Something's going to happen. But his wife, from behind him, looked back. Now, wait a minute. Didn't the angel say, oh, don't look back? She looked back. And you know the phrase look back? It means to look back with pleasure. It's like when she looked back to the cities, she looked back to the world, she loved what she was leaving. It's like she didn't want to leave. She loved it. She fit right in to everything that was going on there. She loved the worldliness of the city. She remembered how wonderful it was for her. See, that's why I said, you know, this message probably shouldn't be called memories, but worldliness can challenge your faith. Looking back to the world, all the great, let me tell you something. The world is very, very appealing. Why? Because what bait isn't? I mean, who goes fishing with a stone? No. You figure out what kind of fish you're going to look for, and then you get the kind of food they like, and you get the food they like, and you throw it where the fish you're going to look for are, and they'll go for the food. It's called baiting the hook, right? You bait what they like. The world, Satan makes the world very appealing. He makes it pleasurable. He makes it look like, oh, yeah, man, you don't want to miss out what's going on out there, but you never know the end result. You know, you look at so many commercials on TV. When they show the beer commercials and the rum commercials and all the alcohol commercials, everybody's having a great time. Imagine if they ended at these rehab centers with a commercial. Oh, by the way. Here's a 12-step program that you can sign up for. You know, they never do that. They always show everybody having a good time, having a party. Oh, this is great, dancing around, you know. See, the bait always looks good, but no one ever talks about the consequences. So she loved the worldliness of the city. And you know why I believe? Because I believe she became numb to sin. And you know the danger today. We can become numb to sin. We can become non-numb to anything if we like see it enough. You know that. If if in the beginning it's like oh, but day after day after day after day, it's like ah, you don't even notice it anymore. You know. Couple of examples. Many years ago, I don't know, 25 years ago, when men began to wear an earring. Remember that? That was a long time ago, right? And when 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 men started to wear an earring in their ear, it was like radical. Like, whoa. Now, you don't even notice it. You know why? Because half the guys wear them. We, we become numb. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying, in the beginning, it was like a little bit of a shock. But then after, you know, years, here we are, 25, 30 years later, it's part of your attire, and no one thinks twice about it. Men began to get tattoos years ago. Now, I see, and I'm, I'm again, I'm not for or against. I'm neutral. I don't care if people have tattoos. It's not an issue with me. But we have more of the ladies seems like getting tattoos than men. And um, what I, and what I'm just saying is, in the beginning, if a guy got a tattoo, we're like whoa. Now all the guys, all the girls, we're numb to it. It's like, yeah, whatever. You know, and I don't care. Whatever, it doesn't matter to me. I a matter of fact, I was thinking of getting one. But I didn't want the gum. I just wanted the thing you, you you lick it and you put it on. Remember those bazookas? Remember those best around the bazooka gum? You get the tattoo, and you lick your arm, you stick it on there. It always came off. It's about as far as I can go right now. But, you know, again, all I'm saying is that when things originally happen, there's a shock value. But then over time, we get numb to it. And it's like, yeah, whatever. You know, uh, living together used to be taboo. Husband and uh, man and woman living together in the, like the same place. That was like radical. That was I remember when John Lennon of the Beatles, he almost like back in the, I don't know, 70s moved in with his girlfriend, Yoko Ono. That was, like, radical. And now, half the people I marry are already living together. And I'm thankful that they get married and they get with God. It's, it's a wonderful thing. But we just get numb to that. We get numb to people in their living arrangements. Homosexuality used to be a secret. they would be like, oh, you know, was, they called it being in the closet. Now, It's become a political force. Now they have parades. I'm like, what? A parade? A homo- I'm sorry, a homosexual parade? You know, it's like, here's my idea about sex. Keep it in your house. I think that's a good idea. (laughs) It's meant to be private. But here's, the, mo- here's the, the point today. Memories of the world before you were saved. will come back and haunt you, and they can draw you back. you got to make sure you cut yourself off all the way, Satan sure makes it look good. And it'll challenge your faith by all means. The further we get from it, the stronger we'll become against it. Keep that in mind, okay? Faith is meant to be challenged, but God wants you to be victorious in the challenge. Thanks for coming along. I'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.